Um, as the, the, the uh, bumper showed us, uh, this morning we're going to fast forward uh, to Mount Sinai where the, the video left off. I want to catch you up so you know exactly what's going on if you haven't been following. If you have, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Exodus, so I want to make sure we're all on the same exact page. Here's what's happening. The, the nation of Israel, and we believe this it really happened. This is history. The nation of Israel was in Egypt. God delivered them, and they, they crossed the Red Sea, and they are out in the wilderness waiting to inhabit, to take over this promised land that God has given them. On their way, God takes Moses, the leader, up to Mount Sinai, where he's going to give Moses the law. Now, they are, are Moses is up there on Mount Sinai for a very long time, and the nation of Israel begins to grow restless. They wonder what in the world is going on up there. Is Moses all right? Would we ever be able to find him if we sit a search party? So they're beginning to grow restless. They don't know where their leader is. And so the nation of Israel comes to uh, Moses' brother, Aaron, and says, Aaron, your brother has deserted us. We don't know where he is. He's been gone forever. He's deserted us. Will you make us an idol so we have something to worship? Will you make us an idol so we have something to worship? And Moses, or Aaron says, yes, that's no problem. Bring me all your gold, the gold that you got from Egypt on our way out. Bring it all to me, and I'll make you an idol. And that's exactly what happens. I know it's crazy, but that's exactly what the Bible tells us happens. They make this idol, this, uh, Aaron makes this gold idol, and the nation of Israel begins to worship the idol. Now, I know we don't worship idols like a gold statue, but we worship idols in our culture. We worship fame. We worship money. We're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. But they worship this golden calf, this golden idol. God tells Moses, while he's up on Mount Sinai, what the nation of Israel is doing. Your people have gone off the rails. They have lost their mind. They are worshiping a golden calf. And I am going to wipe them off the face of the earth because of their sin. Moses does something amazing. He says, God, don't do it. Don't do it. If you do it, Egypt's going to see what happens and they're going to mock you. They're going to say that you're weak. They're going to say that you're evil. Don't wipe the nation of Israel off the earth. Remember the promises you made. Don't wipe them off the earth. And the Bible tells us that the God of the universe, the creator of the world, listened to Moses. Just a man like you and I, a human being like you and I. God listened to him and he relented. He did not destroy the nation. Of, of Israel. But. God says there's going to be consequences. To your sin. Because you worship this idol. Because you ask Aaron to, to make this idol. And because you worship the idol. There's going to be consequences for your sin. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This conversation between Moses. And God. A conversation about the consequences of the nation of Israel's sin when they worship the idol. And I hope that you're going to see two things this morning as we walk through this text, as we walk through this book of the Bible or this chapter in Exodus. I hope that you're going to see, number one, that God is glorious. He is glorious. He is, and what I mean by that is He is above everything else. He is worth more. His value is more than anything else this world has to offer. He's glorious. And number two is this. That he is merciful. 
that he is merciful. And so with, with that as a backdrop, let's jump into to Exodus chapter 33. If you're new to Bible study, you have a Bible, it's going to be the second book in, Genesis and Exodus. And then you're going to find verse 33. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. That might be the easiest way to follow along this morning. Exodus 33. Remember, they just worshiped this idol. God is angry because of their sin. Here's the conversation the Lord has with Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, Your offspring I will give it. Your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the uh, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the Lord heard this, or when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. The Lord said to Moses. Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for a, that if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from, more, from Mount Horeb onward. So here's what this text says. They're, they're moving forward from, from Mount Horeb. They're out there in the wilderness, and they're moving towards this promised land, this land that God has given to the nation of Israel to call their own. On the way, they, they worship the idol, and God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to give you peace. All of your enemies are going to be taken care of. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to have any power over you. They're going to be destroyed. I'm going to make sure of it. And I'm going to make sure that you have plenty of wealth, you have plenty of prosperity, but here's the consequence to your sin. I am not going any further on this journey with you. I am not going any further with you. The presence of the Lord, the, the, in a very real way, is not going to, to move forward on this journey towards the promised land anymore. I'm giving you the, 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 the land that I promised to you. I'm going to make sure you're safe. I'm going to make sure you have plenty of wealth. But I am not moving any further with the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that when they received this message, this message they mourned. They were heartbroken. Here's why that's interesting to me. In our culture, in 2017, in the United States in the 2017, isn't this the kind of Christianity that we want? Not, not you and I, but as a culture. Isn't this, what we, isn't this the kind of Christianity that, uh, that Americans want in 2017? Here's what I mean. They want, they want God at an arm's length. Now, they want him to, to give them money. They want them to give them influence. They want, them, they want God to give them power. They want God to make sure that there are no enemies to take them out. But they always want God at arm's length. Our, our culture, American Christianity, generally speaking, we want God at, at arm's length. Give us the good things, but we don't want to be accountable to you. We don't want to listen to the things that you've told us and then have to submit our lives to it. This is the, the kind of Christianity that, that Americans want. 
uh, that, 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 that we're flocking to. Not, not us in, in this room, but Americans, Christians, are, are, or, or, or our culture is flocking to. We give us prosperity, give us wealth, but I don't want to be accountable to you. I want the things that you have to offer, but I don't necessarily want you and all the things that you demand. And the nation of Israel mourned when they received this message. Why? Because they knew God was better. They knew that God was better than all the things that he had to give them. He, they knew that all the gifts, while they are good, they pale in comparison to the one who gives them. The giver of the gifts. They knew that God was glorious. He was better. You don't believe me? I don't do this very often, but go buy a People magazine or an Us Weekly. Just read through the stories briefly, and you'll see that there are people in the pages of those magazines who have more wealth than you and I will ever imagine most of the time. They have more money than they could spend in two lifetimes. They have more fame. People know their name. All across this country. And over and over and over again, their lives are train wrecks. In spite of the thing that we are told that we're supposed to long for. The things that we're supposed to want. And the nation of Israel knew this. And their hearts were broken because of it. Their, their hearts were broken because of it. They wanted the giver of good gifts, not just the gifts themselves. Well, look at how the story unfolds as a result. Moses goes back to God. In, in Exodus 30, or in verses 7 through 11, Moses goes into his tent and he has a conversation. The Bible tells us that a cloud descended, that God descended on, excuse me, on Moses' tent. And all the people of, of Israel, after receiving this word, went into their tents, and they begin to pray as well. They begin to, to um, ask God to show up among them, to, to, to change his mind, and to show up among them. And that's exactly what happened. Moses goes into his tent. It's called the tent of meeting. And the Bible tells us that a cloud descends, and God's presence is there among the nation of Israel. And when, when God showed up, the nation of Israel felt safe. They knew that, they, that God had their back, that he wasn't going to let anything happen to them, that he was with them. And they were glad that that was the case because then they knew that everything was going to be okay, that God was in control. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this. The, the best I could come up with, yeah, God leaves you, leaves you wanting, but the best I could come up with was as a kid growing up at night, I was, I was scared of the dark. Anybody else scared of the dark growing up? Anybody? Oh, come on now. I'm not the only one. Uh, I was scared of the dark growing up. This is, you know, kindergarten and below. In my room, in my brother's room, we were upstairs. And my parents, they would put us to bed at night, and they would turn out all the lights. And then, then my imagination would begin to move. And, like, posters would come alive, and there were monsters. There was somebody hiding under my bed. And I was always scared of the dark. But my parents... They would not go to bed when we went to bed. And they would stay up downstairs, watch TV, talk, whatever. And they would always keep the light on. And that was always very good news for me. Because I was scared of the dark. And the ambient light would come up the staircase. And I could see the light from my bedroom. 
And I knew that as long as the light was on, everything was going to be okay. My mom and dad were downstairs. If, if somebody came out from underneath the bed, somebody showed up at the house, there was somebody bigger, there was somebody stronger than me, and everything was going to be okay. Everything was going to be all right because my parents were there. My mom and my dad were up, and they would take care of it. On a much grander scale, that was what happened when the nation of Israel went to their tents, and they began to pray, and they saw the presence of the Lord descend. Everything was going to be all right because God was there. And they could not fathom moving forward, even with this promise that God was going to give them great gifts. He was going to give them prosperity. He was going to give them peace. They could not fathom moving forward if God was not with them. Look at what Moses says in verse 15. <clears throat> Moses said to, to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. We're not moving forward. If, God, if your presence is going to stop right here, if you're not going to move forward with us to this land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land, all of, all of this prosperity that is waiting for us, an easy life that's waiting for us, if, if, if you're not going to move forward, we're not leaving this place. Here's why. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that makes us distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses says the only thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world is you. God, it's the only thing that sets us apart. Is your presence with us? It's not. It's not in our. It's not in prosperity. There are people that are richer than us. It's not in peace. There are. There are nations that are stronger than us. They have a more powerful army, army than us. The only thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world is that your presence is among us. So we're not moving forward. We're not going on to the land that you promised us if you're stopping right here because you're the only thing that makes us unique. This morning, if you know Christ. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that sets you apart from the rest of the world. There's only one. It's not that, it's not that your, your marriages are, are easier. It's not that, that you have more money in the bank account. It's not that God uh, makes it where you can climb the corporate ladder more quickly than, than the rest of the world. None of that sets us apart. There are people that are stronger. There are people that, are, that are, uh, have more money. There, there are people that have more influence. That don't know Christ. There's only one thing, if you know Christ this morning, that sets you apart. It's that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And Moses understood that. And he said, we are putting the brakes on this whole thing. And we're going to stay right here if this is as far as you go, God. If this is as far as you're moving with us, this is where we stop. Put in my notes, what makes us unique is the presence and the power of God in our lives. What does that look like? Number one is this. Our lives have meaning. We know that our lives have meaning. As followers of Christ, we know that our lives have meaning because we have been created by our Creator. And we acknowledge that. We know that, that we, were, we were made with intrinsic value. This morning, if you are, are here and you breathe this air, 
that, that's on this earth, that you have value. You have value. You are a valuable human being. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter if you don't have a job. It doesn't matter if you have money in your bank account, if you don't have money in your bank account. If you breathe breath this morning, you have value because you were created in the image, in, in the image of the creator, in the image of God. You bear his image, and that is why you are valuable this morning. As followers of Christ, we know this. And that's one thing that sets us apart. Number two is this. We face tragedy with hope. Just a couple weeks ago, I, I did a funeral for a, a lady. I've talked about her quite a bit. But, but it just rocked my world because she wasn't much older than me. 40s. She had a, 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 an early 20s, a 23-year-old, and then a teenager still. And, and cancer ate her physical body away, and ultimately it killed her. But her teenage daughter and her 20, young 20 son stood up in her funeral, stepped to the microphone, and with a broken heart, read what their mom meant to her, or meant to them. But they did it with hope. They were brokenhearted, but they were not broken. They were, they were beaten down, but they were not crushed. They could face this tragedy of losing mom, but they did it with hope. That is what sets us apart. And that's it. That the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit lives inside of us, is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And Moses understood that. And he was not moving forward without it. Well, Moses goes to God and says, hey, we're not moving without, without you. We're not moving forward without you. And so I want to see your glory. I want to have a conversation. I want to have a face-to-face -face meeting with you, God. Kind of a bold request. But God says, you can't do that. If I show you who I am, if we meet face to face, it will take you out. You will not, you will not exist anymore. I am so holy. I am so above you that I, you cannot see my face. But here's what I will allow to happen. I want you to go up in the mountain. I want you to find a cleft, a, a, a cave. And I want you to hide in the cave. And I'm going to pass by. And you're going you're gonna to see my back. You're going to see um, the back of me because you can't see my face. And as I pass by, then I will have some things to tell you. And so that's exactly what happens. Moses goes up on a mountain. He hides in the cleft of a rock. And God passes by. And Moses is able to see the back of, of God as he passes by. And as he passes by, God has a few things to tell Moses. And here's what he tells Moses in verse 6 of, of Exodus 34. The Lord passed by Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth. And worshiped. If you follow that text, there's some tension that built in that in, in those verses. God passes by Moses and he says, I am a merciful God. 
I should have, I, or not I should have, but I could have taken out that the nation of Israel. When they worshiped this idol, I could have taken them out, and I would have been completely justified in doing it. But I'm merciful. My, my, my uh, uh, mercy is long-suffering. I'm, I'm long-suffering. I, I am merciful. I'm merciful. I'm merciful. When you sin, I, I show mercy. I show mercy. I show mercy. But don't misunderstand. Sin must always be punished. Sin must always be punished. I am holy, and sin cannot be in my presence. It must always be punished. I am merciful. I'm long-suffering. My, my fuse is long. My fuse is very long. But there comes a point where your sin and the sin of, of Israel and my sin must be accounted for, must be paid for. The guilty must Always be punished. And then all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's this tension in the nation of Israel and around the world of a, of a people that can't live without God but can't live with him. Because he is merciful, he's long-suffering, he uh, has a fuse that is very long, but their sin must always be punished. It must always be punished. God doesn't think your sin is cute. He doesn't think it's funny. He... No, or he must always punish sin. I was trying to, to think how to explain this. And uh, I, we all have kids. If you have kids, you've, they, they've said something in a very uh, serious moment or, or a very intense moment. They always say something clever or, or kind of silly, and it makes you laugh a little bit. You're like, go to your room now, and, until I can come and talk to you. Go to your room because you don't want to see him laughing. Uh, one of the funniest instances uh, of this for me was a friend uh, of mine growing up. His name was Captain Rogers. He was the, the captain of a Navy of a Navy vessel, of a ship um, back in, in Virginia. His name was Scott Rogers. And um, he, being the captain of the ship, was in charge of all the discipline. So he would send young men to the brig if it was necessary. And he was judge, jury, and executioner on that ship. All right, it was just him, and so he would regularly have young men come before him. He'd find out what they what they've done, and then he would would uh, uh, bring down the punishment for that young sailor. Well, one particular uh, time, there was this this uh, young eighteen or nineteen year old. I don't remember I don't remember his his uh, exact age or how long he had been in the navy, but not very long. And he was mischievous. He never did anything really bad, but he would always go kind of come right up to the line. And then he'd back off after he got in trouble and he'd come right up to the line. Just a mischievous young kid. He just needed some, he had some growing up to do. Well, this happened regularly. And then this one particular time, he did something. I don't remember what it was, what his transgression was. Um, but he came to the captain, Scott Rogers. He came to Captain Rogers and he was standing before him. And the captain was going over all the details of his transgression. Just make sure we're on the same page here. And um, so he listed out all of his offenses. And the, the young man said, yes, that's right. And then he spun around and he put his back to Captain Scott Rogers. And he put on those glasses. You remember those glasses that had like the big furry eyebrows and the, the mustache and, and, and the, the glasses? And he put those on and he spun spun back around very quickly and he said, beam me up, Scotty. 
And Captain Rogers, that's so unwise, Steve. You know, this guy's like judge, jury, and executioner. And this young man just said, beat me up, Scotty. And Captain Rogers about busted out laughing. He turned around, and he, and he started laughing, and, and he turned back around. And he, and he had to send him to the brig for two days. I do remember that. Send him to the brig for two days. But he thought it was hilarious. All right? Here's what I'm trying to do with this illustration. God is not like that. He doesn't think it's funny. All right? He does not take your sin as cute or funny. He takes it deadly serious. Your sin must always be accounted for. It must always be Paid for. The guilty. That's me. And that's you. The guilty must always have their sin atoned for, paid for. The guilty will not go unpunished. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see this tension God's mercy and His holiness. His mercy and His holiness. His, his long-suffering and the sin that will not go unpunished. And we see that tension all throughout the Old Testament until you turn the page to the New Testament. And this baby named Jesus is born. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was God in the flesh. He lived on this earth for 33 years and he never sinned, not one time. He was completely guiltless. He, he had no sin. And yet, because of his love for you, and you, and you, and me, he willingly laid down his life on a cross. And his blood was poured out. And the Bible tells us that the wrath of God was poured out. Your sin's wrath, or, or the, the guilt that was deserved, that you deserved and that I deserved, our, our wrath, the, the wrath of God, instead of being poured out on me and on you, if you know Christ this morning, his wrath was poured out on Jesus, a perfect sacrifice, somebody who did not deserve to die. His wrath was poured out on Jesus, and the guilt that was due us, Jesus took. The wrath that was due us, Jesus took. And our sins, for all who believe, were paid for once and for all. And that is how God, in his holiness, can still have a relationship for a broken, sinful human being like me. Because God's relationship is not based on my sin anymore. Because my sin has been paid for. Jesus paid for it on the cross and washed it away. Amen. Washed it away. This morning, I don't know where you are with Christ, where you are with God, what, what, that, what that terminology even means for you. But please don't walk out of here without understanding two things. Number one, your sin will be paid for. It'll either be paid by you or it will be paid for by Jesus. Your sin must, must be paid for before a holy God. But because of his love for you, because of God's love for you, he sent his one and only son to pay that sin debt on your behalf for all who will believe. And so I would 
encourage, admonish, beg if it would help. But don't leave here if you don't know Christ without allowing him to be for you what you could not be for yourself. A perfect payment to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I do pray that every person in here would walk away knowing Christ and the perfect sacrifice that he had on our behalf. Because your word is clear, you will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. But in your love, you made a way so that your son would pay that, that, that price for us. I pray we would all know it.